Hello, everyone. This is Michael Gallagher uh, and the M&M Podcast. Uh, again, Michael Gallagher from I'm a lecturer in digital education at the Center for Research in Digital Education. And I'm Miles Blaney. I'm a service manager and digital learning applications and media, uh, learning, teaching, and web and information services. And we are lucky enough to have a, a very special guest star uh, on this M&M podcast. And it is uh, one Stuart Nichol. Stuart. Uh, thanks, Michael. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm Stuart Nichol, Head of Educational Design and Engagement in Learning, Teaching and Web Services in Information Services Group. All right. Welcome. Welcome. So we'll, we'll be talking a few things, uh, a continuation of what our last episode, uh, episode 11 with Karen Howie. Uh, we'll extend some of that conversation in, uh, about our response to, to the current crisis and what we learned along the way. Uh, a few points to mention before we kick off is that, uh, A, that you, the wonderful score that you hear at the beginning and at the end of this podcast is, a, is an original. An original uh, piece, beautiful piece as well. An original piece on an iPhone uh, <laughs> using GarageBand <laughs> on the iPhone. So, yeah, we're very proud of that. Uh, and also, more importantly, though, than the than the the flimsy score music that we put in front of the end is uh, we, there's a, a new course that has been developed uh, in response to the crisis. Uh, Stuart was very instrumental in putting it together, and a lot of hours were put into it in a hurry. Uh, and that is COVID nineteen critical care understanding and application. Stuart, do you want to mention anything about the course? Yeah, so um, yeah, this is put together in record time. It's it's um, it's been delivered on a MOOC platform so it's been delivered on FutureLearn but it's um, it's actually like a, a set of learning resources rather than a, rather than an end-to-end course. Um, I can't take too much credit for it. My, my colleagues um, John Jack and Lizzie Garner-Foy have spent lots and lots of time over the past week putting it together. Um, and it starts today is that correct? Yeah so uh, we only found out about the course about just over a week ago um, and so lots of decisions had to be made very quickly about what to do about it um and it launched for sign up on friday it's live today um i think we've got over five thousand um people signed up to the course already um i think it's focusing on people that are going to have to work in a critical care setting um at, at quite short notice so it's kind of a lot of kind of skills around what you would you need to know and do in, in those settings. So uh, you know there there'll be a lot of people globally that are that are having to move into those settings. So I think it's going to be a, a really useful course. Yeah, and uh, a quick shout out to Olga Patterson who also de- helped develop the course and who's also a student on our on our MSc program as well. So well done all, to all involved. We'll share the URL to sign up for it in the description of this particular podcast. So you if you want to sign up, please do. Okay, so into the, to the, the heart of what we're going to talk about. So uh, we're talking about the response largely, again, to COVID and how this university in particular sort of pivoted and, and moved online, these sorts of things. And we sort of addressed last episode about this institutional expertise that is available at the university that helped inform that movement, even though a lot of it was done on the fly. There, there, there was a lot of background expertise that was being drawn on. In those moments, is it at all possible, Stuart? Like maybe you can talk a little bit about what kinds of things the university does online, and we have been doing online for some time. Yeah, so well, Edinburgh University's got a long heritage of online, um, online teaching and delivering different types of online courses. Uh, I think the, I think the first 
batch of online courses. It stretches back to about 2005, especially in the MVM area. Um, and I know the, the MSc Digital Education. I mean, when when did that start? Was that around? I believe that was two thousand five as well. Two thousand five, right. two thousand six, something like that. Okay, so so and and that's kind of quite a meta course as well. So not only do we deliver a lot of online courses, but we have like one of the world leading courses about teaching online and about online learning as well. But um, so I mean, we we have over three thousand fully online students um, at any moment in time. It's mainly in the postgraduate area, um, and we've got over 70 programs, I think. Um, and the other thing that, you know, obviously we were very involved in is um, MOOCs, so massive open online courses. So um, that kind of open education space. So since 2012, we've been delivering um, those kind of MOOC-type courses. We've got over 55 of them. We have three partners, so we partner with edX, Future Learning, Coursera, um, and we've got a lot of expertise across the university. So um, in that time, uh, you know, a lot of kind of academic schools kind of been very involved in this. So we have a lot of excellent teachers, online teachers. Um, and we have central kind of resource as well. So so in, in, in my section, Educational Design and Engagement, we, we, we have kind of media production media producers we um have instructional designers um and, you know and then you know we have people like yourself and miles who, who support with the kind of innovative technology you know obviously we moved into micro credentials last year um yeah launched last year yeah so so micro masters with edX and and you know so that kind of We've kind of moved from open education at scale to for credit education at scale. So, we, yeah, we do a lot of innovative, interesting things here. Yeah, that's good. So how did that, uh, and obviously I think by what you're saying that it certainly did, but how, how did that expertise sort of inform, how did it make it perhaps quote unquote easier? I know easier is not the term we should be, uh, nothing's easy in this time. But this idea that when we had to pivot, when we had to do that emergency pivot, that any of that sort of, were you able to draw on that? To make that pivot, yeah, no, we, we obviously were. I mean, I think we, we were able to draw on you, Michael, very quickly because yeah, we worked closely with you on the on the distance learning at scale project, but um, and 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 that was really key um to our response. But I, I suppose it was kind of interesting. We had to define what the issue was because um, what we did need to say in this instance was this kind of what happened a couple of weeks ago when we suddenly couldn't get on campus was that we weren't. It wasn't about um redesigning a whole bunch of courses to be taught online because of course our message is always that if you're going to develop an online course you need to you need to spend time designing it and you need to design it well um and and online teaching isn't something that you just kind of pick up overnight either so i guess we had to define the problem to be around remote teaching so moving an on-campus course online at short notice rather than a full redesign also most of our on online provision is is master's level and the majority of what we were looking at here was um was was undergraduate um moving on undergraduate courses online so a lot of undergraduate teachers don't actually have that online teaching experience um so i guess what we had to do was kind of focus on a core tool set make it make it as simple as possible but also try to embed kind of teaching practice into into the advice that we were given and I guess that's where we work very closely with yourself to to make sure that those new set of pages that we put up were were really supportive and and where it wasn't just about the technology it was all also about about the about how to teach um and I think given that 
I think we've got that experience, you know, the university has that experience, but like I say, there were a lot of people that were going to have to teach online that hadn't done that before. So breaking that down to be simple, manageable, getting to the core things that, that you should do um, <clears throat> to for, for good online teaching. Um, that yeah, that's a good point. So maybe we can, we can talk a little bit about that now. I mean, we had, uh, last week we talked with uh, Karen, and Miles and I, we had this discussion about like the response. So we had that four hours uh, every half day, right? So for, uh, eight hours total of training, I guess, for a week and some change uh, on uh, different core components, the core tools that the university supports, like Learn and uh, Collaborate and Media Hopper, which is this uh, internal media service at the university. And we had, so we had three, uh, you know, four hours of training every half day running on those three things, plus uh, an additional remote teaching drop-in session where Stuart and I and John Jack as well uh, were able to answer questions and sort of frame the conversation around what Stuart's saying about, uh, you know, how to teach online, how to emphasize very, very limited, very, very basic things. And I think we ended up emphasizing the continuity, care, and contact and as a simple sort of mechanism to latch onto in this period of remote teaching. So the continuity being that you could uh, get teaching a, a teaching provision uh, pivoted in the online space uh, relatively in a, in a relatively straightforward fashion, and it was just to um, to manage that continuity between the teacher and the student. So the provision continues even if it is slightly uh, uh, altered, or certainly altered, but even if it's slightly uh, uh, diminished in some respect, i.e. the the full range of activity is not immediately available to. And then we also emphasized contact and contact being a very elusive thing uh, to define online. But this idea that the teacher-student dialogue is really the critical bit here to maintain that continuity. Uh, it's that interaction between the teacher and the student and the students and their fellow students. And to make that mechanism available through your design, whether it be a simple check-in session, whether it be a weekly announcement, whether it be encouraging tones at intervals throughout the week rather than one discrete block of time once a week. It was more about thinking of your courses in Monday through Friday terms rather than Thursday at two to four or whatever it might be. And then I, the additional bit was care is this idea of both student care and self-care. Uh, and that's becoming a heightened uh, uh, thing as well going forward, this idea of like, uh, when you're teaching online, the student care issue be becomes uh, a difficult uh, thing sometimes to manage, uh, largely due to the invisibility of some students. They might drop off and pop back in. Those are normal patterns of movement on and off a course. But in these times of crisis, it's important to check in and, and, and maintain some sort of visibility insofar as possible and not surveillance necessarily, but visibility. And the other bit was self-care too. And I think this applies to your team, Stuart, and Miles, you as well, and myself is, uh, you know, if you're learning, a lot of learning technologists are putting in double time. And I'm seeing a lot from my students in, in, in a course design, a course on course design, uh, that self-care becomes an issue. You have to manage that. You have to maintain some sort of uh, timetable, if at all possible. Uh, many of you have, you know, care responsibilities and children and these sorts of things. So maintaining a, a self-care regimen uh, as much as possible is important. I think there's so much, I think there's a massive pressure on people. There's a transition. So we're talking about the transition for online teaching here, but the transition to working at home for some people is massive as well. So 
um, like my wife's a key worker. So she's working at home downstairs because she works in a telecommunications company. And um, she has to work her hours, plus she's being asked to work overtime as well. Plus you have, you know, dependents at home as well, potentially as well. Um, and trying to juggle all that and, and to look after other people that you're teaching as well must be an absolute, uh, you must be juggling like knives. <laughs> it must be an absolute nightmare um, right now. And I think the, the uncertainty as well, and how long this is going to last uh, might be something else that kind of, you know, isn't helping might, might cause extra anxiety or, or extra stress. And that might affect everything else around people. I'd agree. And I think acknowledging that, that anxiety and that stress that comes about from the unknown and from all these additional responsibilities, it's okay to surface that. I was actually suggesting in those remote teaching sessions that uh, 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 teachers actually create a separate forum just for surfacing that stuff. So mm-hmm. whether you want to call it like a support thread or whether you want to have it in teams or whatever you want to have it, you have just a, an open forum for people to discuss the stress and the anxiety and the concerns they might be having. There's nothing, I think it's actually good practice on some level. Well, well, you Most could of argue our courses people, have something like that in it. You'd even argue now that people are doing that socially by having um, virtual pub meets and all that kind of stuff where they can, outside of work, obviously, talk uh, with their friends and family about the current situation. So having that within the professional space as well makes it's, makes really good sense because people can then um, bounce off and, and hear other, how others are doing as well in the same professional space. Yes. And it's interesting, too, how this is all extended into different spaces as well. We have, you know, the work we're doing with this team here on that emergency res- response. So we had threads and check-in calls on Teams. Uh, the My MSc in digital education program has a, a Teams channel set up for the students to come in and pop in with their how they're pivoting as well, because uh, the students on my particular program are, are very much ser- servicing the roles that you, the three of us function in, is that they are responsible for bringing in their schools or their universities or their colleges online. Uh, so we have a forum for them to discuss that as well. And then there's a D, uh, digital education center WhatsApp group, which is just people sharing uh, gifts for the most part. Uh, <laughs> whatever works, there's layers upon layers of support. Yeah. That are that can easily function in some sort of coherent whole. I think you can't beat a good gift. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. It's an ongoing perfect, uh, pursuit of mine is to find the perfect one. But. <laughs> and can I can I ask you a question? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, and I think it's it's something you said as well earlier on about um, online and and the fact that we have instructional designers and media producers that um, create content for online. So, I just want to ask the question for like. Um, for on-campus courses, what usually happens about creation of, of content on, on those courses? Who does that usually? Yeah, so on-campus courses are normally, um, obviously, they're, they're a lot lighter in terms of the, well, normally a lot lighter in terms of the uh, amount of online materials that are, that are provided. I mean, there's some key, the big project that we've got at the moment is specifically focusing on on-campus students, but the online space is provided for them as a Learn Foundations project, um, and and that's about trying to you know make sure that we're providing consistent a consistent structured um, template within the VLE for for students, and it's it's, it's about usability. It's about making sure that the online space is usable. But I think you know, well, one one thing about the our university having invested so heavily over the years in online courses and in online programs 
is that maybe we haven't invested as much in the on-campus and the the, the online space for the on-campus courses. Um, and I guess that's what our response has been over the past couple of years with the Learn Foundations project. But I, I think what this situation kind of emphasizes is is the importance of, of that, the importance of, of the online space for, for on-campus um, teaching. And it should be important anyway because the online space is as much a, a key kind of teaching space as the physical space for, for those on-campus on courses. And, you know, we should be thinking about things like blended learning um, and kind of how we can use um, the online to to make the face-to-face interactions um, more more meaningful so they're not just all about delivering a lecture or whatever. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of talk about those kind of techniques like flipped classrooms and, and stuff like that. Um, but we've you know we've also got new projects coming up like at the Edinburgh Futures Institute where there, there's talk of hybrid teaching as well. So some the mixing of, you know you could take a course in in multiple modes. You could be online or on campus. Um, but I think what 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 is highlighted to everybody over the past few weeks is the notion of kind of business continuity. Like if if the if the university's core business is is education is teaching. Um, and I think that's an important point in itself. I think when this happened, the university was very clear that um, that, the, that teaching was the highest priority um, over research, which is an interesting thing in itself because that's not often stated. Um, but it, but if if core business is is teaching, then you need to have some sort of business continuity plan in there for your core bit of business. Um, and I think that's why why it's going to be really really important to have online spaces for on campus courses that that can pivot. That will, you know, I don't think this I don't think this kind of COVID nineteen thing is going away quickly. Um, and as it does go away, I think it will go away gradually. Um, and that might mean that um, you know social distancing is kind of um, you know. It, you know the restrictions are loosened up a little bit, um, but then they might tighten again if if things peak again. Um, so we may need to, we may get back onto the campus, but then have to come off the campus quickly, and we don't know when that will happen. But also, if we do get back onto the campus, it's quite likely that we may not be able to have the same numbers of people in a room, for example. So so it might it may be that you you can't have those large lectures anymore. Um, you can still have the large lectures, but you can't just have all the people crammed into one room for it. So, so the online space is going to be really, really important in terms of in terms of business continuity, in terms of the university doing what it needs to do, which is which is teaching. And 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 if you think about it, you know, you know, we are teaching the thought leaders of the future. So, you know, like if if we're teaching the people that should be helping us with the issues that we're seeing just now so you know it's super important for us to be thinking about this i'd agree so you know that's an interesting point going back a little bit to the learn foundations part uh you had mentioned before to give uh listeners the idea of scale here uh you had mentioned something i think you had said what 80 percent of all courses have a learn equivalent yeah, attached yeah, to more, them, more than that you know have have a have a course in learn um yeah yeah Interesting. So the Learn Foundations is ongoing. How long has that been going for? So it's a three-year project. Um, we're about halfway through it. Um, September this year will be the end of year two. Last year, we migrated about 15 or 20% of courses 
across into the new learn um, template. Um, I think we're aiming to do around about 50% um, over this summer. Um, But I really do think we're going to have to think carefully about whether we want to speed that up, actually, um, and, and to make sure that those online spaces are as usable as possible for students. Because if, if, you know, what we saw over the past couple of weeks is students being pushed more heavily into Learn. Learn was the, our hub. If you think about the core tool set that we were advising people to, to focus on, it's Learn that was the hub. So making sure that that, um, that is a usable space. And, and, and that means that, yeah, you know, we're not looking at constricting teaching. We're just, you know, basic navigation is consistent from course to course. So if students are taking multiple courses, it's easy for them to find where their lectures are, where their course materials are, where their assessments are. Um, you know, I, I think it's really important um, for us to push that even harder, I think. Is there is there a way to accelerate that? I, if you know what I mean, or is it is it is it moving along in its natural pace, and it's it's a very difficult structure to accelerate, or do you think that can conceivably be? Accelerated? I think anything's possible. Like I think you know you would never have conceived that the entire university would have moved to remote teaching within a two week time span. Um, and I know we're in some sense we were kind of lucky that it happened towards the end of the teaching kind of cycle. Um, you know, imagine if that had happened in, on week one kind of thing. But um, at the same time, that, that was no mean feat. Um, and I think if we're going to get ready for, you know, September is still, is still a bit of an unknown. Um, and, I, and I think we, you know, we need to think seriously, you know, about whether we have a choice about um, dragging our heels with that or whether we actually just need to push that forward um, a pace. It's, it's so interesting. Do- Sorry, Sorry, Miles, go ahead. Uh, it's something down to as well that um, is the appetite to transition as well because the resource, because, you know, schools are mega busy doing tons of stuff already and they have the content in a place and they'll be like, well, it's there. Um, you know, is it some of it down to the, the kind of, you know, people maybe not using tools because they don't have time to do that, but maybe they have the schools or maybe we haven't been able to push them to show them um, and it's been difficult for people to say, well, no, I, we're not interested in that right now. And now with the current situation, are we finding it that, that this has now been becoming more focal? Yeah. And so schools may not have an option at all. Yeah. I mean, every, everyone's really busy and no one's busier than, than a, an academic job is like, you know, there's so much time pressure, you know, and just getting pulled in so many different directions. So, you know, it, it's always very difficult for a learning technologist to um you know, we we always find it quite quite difficult to kind of get teachers to come to our sessions about learning technology because, especially if you're delivering a if your main focus of your teaching is is on campus, it it, it goes kind of down the priority list, and I totally understand that. Um, but that that's another thing that's what was so amazing about the, the the training that we did a couple of weeks ago was, was the numbers. But you know, like the situation focused minds, and it focused minds onto onto the learning technology that was going to underpin the only way that we were going to be able to continue teaching. Um, and, 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 you know, we had over 800 people in a week, I think, in that first week, um, which is absolutely unheard of. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, and I think, the situ- I think the situation will focus minds, but it's a really good point, Miles. I, you know, I, I think we can't underestimate the support that's required. Um, and that's where the focus on, on learning technologists come. We, we need to be supporting learning technologists across the university to do 
the job that they, the great job that they do to to um, to assist academics in their in their teaching, um, and I think we we may need more of them. Yeah, I would agree with that. Is it, some of the in our drop-in sessions, uh, Stuart, with uh, you and myself, and then with John as well. Uh, there were a lot of questions towards that effect, and it did seem like there obviously that the crisis had stimulated this idea that okay, we need to figure this out in a hurry and. So a lot of uh, what might have been a traditional resistance or, 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 or a time pressure, as you say, was sort of being reconfigured in a way that's a little bit more open to the idea, obviously, because it is a core. Uh, it, it does impact our core ability to provide a teaching service at all. Um, some of the questions that came out of there, out of those remote drop-in sessions, did you find uh, instructive in terms of what you do and your experience in centrally in the university uh, versus what the individual schools were, were, were grappling with. Were there anything new in there that you probably hadn't encountered before, considering that most of our work has been up to this point on graduate level online programs? Um, I'm just trying, I'm trying to trying to think. I mean, the main, one of the main the main things that came out for me was about, about kind of about keeping it simple. Um, and, you know, it, it, you know the, the natural thing is if you're moving like a lecture online is to look at the online equivalent of that lecture, which is something like Collaborate um, or, you know, like to kind of do a synchronous session. That's what that's what a lecture or a tutorial looks like. So that that's what it's going to look like online. But but actually, you know, when people were we have in the undergraduate space, we have a lot of very large classes. So so we're talking hundreds of, of students and then that actually becomes a bit more difficult to support online. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I just say the other interesting discussion that's been happening over the past few weeks is around um, what that online synchronous tool should be. So I've seen a lot of discussion about Zoom, for example. I mean, we, we support Teams and we support Collaborate um, in the university. We don't have Zoom but suddenly everyone's kind of like, oh, no, but if we had Zoom, it'd be better. And I think that's a kind of, you know, a real technocentric kind of view on it. I, I, the tool isn't the thing that's the problem there. It's the synchronous online session using audio and video is always going to be ropey. And it's going to be super ropey when you've got the entire world almost moving to kind of using the Internet to communicate with each other because everybody's going into social isolation. So I think those conversations I, I find really quite frustrating because I think actually the answer is step back that's not the only way to interact with your students and if you move into the online space you've got a whole bunch of other options that are asynchronous so even just something as simple as setting up a discussion board like pre-record something using media hopper a bit of video if you want to have that kind of kind of media type interaction but then have like a discussion board on the back of it and do your interaction there and that's much less problematic for everybody and, and, you know, tech, technology-wise, you're not then kind of relying on this one-hour space where you need the internet and everybody's Wi-Fi connections to be really good or else you're, somebody's going to drop out. And it, it, it's so funny you say that because I, I, I sat in one of your sessions, um, Michael Stewart, and I think, um, you know, a lot of people were in the chat or were saying, can you hear me, you know what I mean, or trying to talk or microphone issues or... And it's all that room admin that comes into it that takes up so much of your time. So your hour lecture might be ten minutes of actual content, fifteen minutes of troubleshooting a technical issue. But that but is, that's another thing that we so we've been 
so when that, that, that came up, our advice is always don't fly solo on a collaborate session. Mm-hmm. Always have somebody to, to have your back. If, you know, if, and that's to do with if somebody can't get access, you can, you can start a kind of a private chat with them and, and kind of make, try and get them online and, and you're not interrupting the teaching that's taking, space, uh, taking place. Otherwise, yeah, you know, in an hour long session, 20, 25 minutes, minutes of it's taken up with kind of technical help for the whole room. But the interesting thing is then you have um, academic colleagues then saying, but I don't have anybody. I, I'm just going to have to do this on my own because I don't have the support. And that, and that's where it's kind of like, well, I would advise don't do it. I would take this, put this into a discussion board, make it simple if you don't and have I, the support and, there. And, and I think it's really interesting with the Zoom conversation. So, and that's where people are thinking, well, this, this tool doesn't work. I just need to use this tool because that's what I'm hearing right now is that this tool is perfect in every way and it's so much easier. And you're like, well, that's a, like you just said there, that doesn't solve it at all. I mean, you know you know what it's like, Miles. There's no silver bullet to, to technology. Like, you know, and as soon as you add in bandwidth, heavy kind of media, you know, video and um, audio, then, yeah, things become more problematic. Video yeah, it's interesting too. Yeah, it's interesting too how, like, the only way to conceivably, and not, not, not puffing up my own neck of the woods, but it's uh, the only conceivable way to really tie this together is to rely on that institutional expertise and or a pedagogical approach like that. What role does this technology service for my teaching and how can I sequence these in a meaningful way? Because one tool will not, will certainly not, although even the use of the word tool is problematic, but one tool will certainly not uh, satisfy all of those objectives, yeah. nor, nor should they. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, uh, I think John Jack often refers to it, I think as a, or maybe you, maybe you, Stuart. I'm sorry. Is like rather than this, this very short, fat piece of time, right? You you elongate it out, yeah. right? It's a thin, uh, uh, inner uh, of a thin structure to a weekly kind of structure to a course tied together with a with a pedagogical purpose, and then your tool or your technologies. I'm not going to avoid the word tools, but the technologies become a little bit easier to select. And use and reuse in different ways. It's funny because it, you, you start to kind of bumping. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Between the, the, the short, fat, and the long, thin. But you know, it's it's interesting when you then come into kind of teaching practice, academic practice, and the idea of contact time. And then what does contact? You know, because contact time, I guess, is easier to define when you're on campus and you have lectures and tutorials or labs, whatever it is. Um, but then, if you are pushing it to the online and those other longer thinner types of interactions uh, become um possible then you know what what does contact time mean in, in that context and I, I guess that's where you michael you're you've been talking about that quite a lot in the kind of it's a good point i mean the, the points because and the spillover onto even labor issues and workload models i mean these uh, some of these online metrics aren't accounted for in existing uh, uh, workload models. So uh, yeah, you have to define what those things are. And so like this short, thin kind of approach where you can insert yourself at either through your own uh, design that happens before the fact, or at intervals throughout the week in very short intervals at, throughout the week. I don't think it requires endless amounts of time spent on the discussion boards each and every day. Uh, a good half hour or a good hour every other day goes a long way. Uh, rather than having a, a two-hour block or a three-hour block at any given at any given time, it makes it a little bit easier to manage that time. Yeah, and that, that, that's a lot of what you were talking about. That in that care thing, take care of yourself. Don't feel you need to be on there the whole time. Get out, walk away from the computer. This isn't about just being on it the whole time. But I agree. It, yeah, 
I think as well also what what we might see at the end of all this as well with the kind of what we're talking about online and care and all that kind of stuff and the resource and is is automation kind of creep back into that conversation as well about how automation can augment that experience to provide that more contact time you know like definition of contact is is what um so tools automation might be able to do that so it'll be interesting to see I'm I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with edtech companies now and how they'll how they'll jump into offer, you know, automation <laughs> well, in this space. I, I agree, and I think the three of us. Uh, I'm just guessing here because we didn't talk about this before. Have received unsolicited emails. Oh, to yeah. that oh my from, lord! From edtech companies who I'm like, oh, thanks, thanks for uh, the suggestion, but I'm okay right now. Um, so yeah, I think people will jump on it, but I, I do think there's. I'm already envisioning easy insertions into this teaching practice uh, where things like automation could p- potentially help. And I think we can talk about that in another uh, podcast, mm. uh, another podcast coming forward, because there are certain conditions there that we're, de- we're still dealing with scale. And I think in the fall, uh, those undergraduate courses are still going to be large. I mean, I don't think there's any escaping that. So how you organize that in a meaningful way uh, will require some careful consideration of these, the orchestrations of technology and teachers and technologists all working together in some coordination and some cooperative effort. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wonder if we, I'm oh, sorry, Stuart. No, no, I was just going to, you know, cause you, you know, with the three of us have been working on, on a, a project that, you know, it's about teaching at scale over the, over the past while, but, but actually I think, I think what's, what's, what's coming is, is, is a true test of teaching at scale and, 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 it, and it's kind of moving into the, the on undergraduate, space like undergraduates working more online i think we i think that's where we will have to look at those tools that will augment teaching mm. yeah, i agree i wonder if uh Stuart, you think it's worthwhile to mention the training program that we put together that we're running again very soon the the edinburgh model yeah and <laughs> well um, yes i mean this is this is really your your baby michael like you and um, sheila mcneil have done a fantastic job of kind of of writing that that um no, of course. There were four co-creators of this course. Stuart was one, however much he's trying to downplay it. Uh, Stuart and myself and Sheila McNeil and... And Andres. Uh, yeah, someone from your team uh, as well, right? Andres Ordorica, yeah. Andres has done a fantastic job. He's an instructional designer. He's done a great job of of guiding us through it and, and making sure that that, that that whole thing kind of tied together. That's right. And so we developed that a year ago for another project altogether, this project that Stuart just mentioned on scale. Yeah. And we'll be running that very shortly uh, for the entire university, uh, more than likely starting about the 20th of April. And we'll advertise this. and It'll be available to anybody and any, anyone from the University of Edinburgh community. So when we advertise this, we encourage you to sign up and hopefully we can all get on the, the same page about how to approach uh, online teaching and a little bit more earnest for in case in case we have to do this again yeah i mean I, I, I guess we can't emphasize enough how how important that course is going to be in terms of taking you know just trying to bring it back to what we were talking about at the start but taking that years it's a bit of a distillation of the, those years of experience that the university has in, in online teaching um, and it's been reviewed widely and you know and and kind of Everybody really, really likes the course. I think it works really well, um, but the, it's the approach that's really important as well. I guess when we when we developed it and ran it the first time, it was on on edX um, because the project that we were working on was about 
we were anticipating a lot of teachers to be teaching on edX, um, but actually, you know, here we're talking about a lot of teachers teaching using Blackboard Learn, so we, we're migrating the whole thing into Learn. But I think the approach is that it's very important to have the experience of being a student in the space that you're going to be teaching in. So that that's kind of what's so key about it. Of course, it's not only about online teaching, but it's giving teachers the experience of being a student, the student experience of, of being online, which I think that's, if that's really key. I'd agree with that. Yeah. So it's the experience of being a student. It's teaching within the spaces that you, you are existing within the spaces that you'll be existing in. And uh, it's doing so in a way that's not really a how to kind of course as well. It's more of, we'll explore this together. Uh, we don't take a lot of time to explain uh, necessarily the instructional manual kind of approach to continuing professional development courses. It's more, it's a little bit more theoretical and research grounded, but yet still ultimately, we hope, very practical. Hmm. Uh, it seems like a good, a good space to stop. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll sign off here and then we'll uh, schedule the next one as soon as possible for the next podcast we'll be running probably next week sometime. Yeah. Um, but until then, I suppose I'll sign off by saying uh, this is goodbye from Michael Gallagher. Uh, and Miles Blaney. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thanks, Stuart. And everybody have a great day.